I've always loved movies. Ever since I was a kid, I've just been drawn to movies. I'm one of nine kids, so we didn't get to go to the theater often, but when we did, it was special because it cost probably $300 or something, I don't know. I grew up in the Weirton area in the Northern Panhandle and there's a drive-in up there that my wife and I would go to whenever we uh, dated, love drive-ins. And now we've got four young kids, so most Friday nights at our house, it gets crazy with an air mattress and a Disney movie and popcorn. It's kind of a family movie night. But I've always loved movies and I especially love the plots where a person or a group of people are brought together and they are given just a big problem to solve, just a big task, a big mission. A movie sort of like Armageddon, which I think is like 20 years old now, so if you're 19 or younger, you don't know what this is. Trust me, it's, it was a good one. Um, but in this movie, if you haven't seen it, a Texas-sized meteor is spotted in the sky and NASA and the military have like less than 18 days to figure out their plan to stop this meteor. So I'm gonna show you a quick clip to where leaders from NASA and the military are fiercely debating the best approach to stop this global killer. Take a look. With the proximity of the asteroid and no prep time, none of our primary plans can work. Why don't we just send up 150 nuclear warheads and blast that rock apart? Terrible idea. Was I talking to you? This is Dr. Ronald Quincy from Research, pretty much the smartest man on the planet. You might want to listen to him. General, if you consider your target, her composition, her dimensions, her sheer velocity, you could fire every nuke you've got at her and she'd just smile at you and keep on coming. You should know that the president's scientific advisors are suggesting that a nuclear blast could change this asteroid's trajectory. I know the president's chief scientific advisor. We're at MIT together. And in a situation like this, you, <clears throat> you really don't want to take the advice from medical to C minus in astrophysics. The president's advisors are um, wrong. I'm right. Hitting the rock from the outside won't do the job. Imagine a firecracker in the palm of your hand. You set it off, what happens? Burn your hand, right? You close your fist around the same firecracker and set it off. <laughs> your wife's gonna be opening your ketchup bottles the rest of your life. Are you suggesting that we blow this thing up from the inside? That's exactly what I'm saying. How? We drill. We bring in the world's best deep core driller. And that person is a guy named Harry. And the film then shows us this team of ragtag oil drillers who are brought together. They receive a crash course training on space travel, and then they are sent to space with the mission of drilling a hole on the, on the asteroid, dropping a nuclear bomb, and then detonating and saving the planet. Now, I've always loved movies like this, team of people coming together to solve a really big problem. And I think I know why. Because I think deep down, it taps in to a desire that we all have. I think it taps in to this desire that, that we wanna be a part of a group of people, that we are playing an important role in this group and together we have a big mission to accomplish. 
But instead of our lives sort of shaping up like that and pursuing a greater purpose, a greater mission, most of us get sucked in to the modern life, which I think for most people are marked by extreme busyness, running every which way, or extreme boredom. You're just bored. And I think this is sad because deep down, all of us can be a part of an important group of people with an important mission, and this is what we're gonna be talking about today. That God has it in mind for us to be a part of a group and accomplish something great. And I'll tell you from the outset that today's message, I would say generally, is gonna be a bit more applicable to those of you who are already a believer in Jesus. But if you're not, we're so glad that you're here. And I want you to know that this message is gonna give you an inside scoop, a peek in to what we're supposed to be about as Christians. So today, here's the one thing I hope you take home, it's this. We're the people of God on a mission with God. We are the people of God on a mission with God. If you've placed your faith in Christ, you have been welcomed into the people of God, the church, not not this building, but the church, which are people, believers, both locally and globally. This is who we are, the, the body of Christ. This is who we are. And this is why we're here to be on a mission with God. I love how Jesus summarized the mission in Luke chapter 19 when he said this, for the son of man, which is a reference to himself, has come to seek and to save the lost. His mission was to seek out and find anyone who did not yet have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. So we're the people of God. We're the people of God. I, I love how one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, described who we are when he said this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter's description of who we are is incredible. He says we're chosen. He says we're royal. He says we're holy. He says we're God's possession, God's people. Now, if all we had were these verses to to draw on, this would be significant in and of itself. If this is all we knew, this is who we are, wow, that would be special. But we have an entire story to draw on, the story of us as we've been working through in this series. You see, from the beginning, God created on purpose. He created on purpose for the purpose to enjoy us, to enjoy people in an eternal relationship. That's why he created the heavens and the earth, to enjoy a relationship with people. But a problem quickly entered the story when people chose to sin against God, they disobeyed. Sin enters the story and caused a separation between people and a holy God. Now at that point, God would have been well within his right to say enough's enough, game over. 
but he knew the choice that people would make. He knew that he would need to enact his plan to rescue us. And this plan really spans from Genesis 3 in the beginning of the Bible all the way through the end of the Old Testament. Hundreds of years this plan unfolds with twists and turns, many interesting characters. And it finally culminates in a little town of Bethlehem. A little town that didn't mean much and in that place the promised one, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was born. He chose to leave heaven, take on flesh. He was born of the virgin, lived a perfect and sinless life, and then voluntarily went to the cross to die on our place and for our sins. But he didn't just die on the cross, he rose again three days later, and his resurrection proved that his payment to God on our behalf was acceptable. That's what we just celebrated in communion what the promised one did for each of us. And now today, anyone, any of you who place your faith in Christ, you recognize your need for a savior that you can't fix yourself, that you call on Jesus to save you, you are brought in and welcomed into this people of God. You are adopted as a son, as a daughter, and you are in the family. This is our story this is a story of a God who loves people and would do whatever it takes to bring us back to himself. Now, as God's people, we are supposed to be defined with a particular characteristic. There is something that is supposed to mark us individually and collectively. Now, you don't have to read the news or, or be on social media long to know that we're known for a lot of things as the church. Not Chestnut Ridge, but the church collectively. And a lot of what we're known for isn't good. Would you agree? Things like greed, things like abuse, things like only caring about ourselves and not the world around us. And I'll just call a spade a spade, we don't have a great reputation there is a characteristic that is supposed to define us and that is love. That is what's supposed to mark us. That's what we're supposed to be known for. One day Jesus was being asked, what is the greatest command? Out of all of the commands, what is the greatest? He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. As the people of God, this is what we should be known for, our love for the God who created us, who enacted a plan to rescue us, our love for him and our love for each other who are made in God's image. This is the great commandment. This is it. Now, today we hear this command and wonder what it would look like for someone to actually do that. That seems so out there for someone to love God with everything, right? From head to toe, you love God, you serve God, you obey God, and to love everyone around you. And I'll just be honest, I've got four kids 
eight, six, four, and one and a half, it's hard to love them sometimes. The other day, our four-year-old got a hold of a purple marker. Let's just say he had art class in his bedroom, all right? We got a trampoline recently, and it's like a cage match when they go in this thing. It's got the net around it, which I thought, how nice. Our children can jump on a trampoline, they're safe. Nope, UFC every time. You know what I'm talking about. It is, it is not easy <laughs> to love God all the time, to love people all the time. It's tricky. But the disciples, this is what I think is fascinating. The disciples didn't have to wonder what that would look like. Jesus gave them the great commandment to love God and to love others, and they saw it day after day, night after night. They saw him praying and loving his father and obeying his father. They saw him serving and feeding and caring. They saw it with their own eyes. This is why in John 13, Jesus could say this, I give you a new commandment. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know. This is how they'll know that you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. This is what we're supposed to be marked by. And when we love well, when we love our families and our friends and our coworkers and our classmates and our teammates and the people we're connected to online, when we love well, people aren't just experiencing our love. That's what's crazy. They're actually experiencing the love of our risen savior, Jesus Christ, in a tangible and real way. The apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, now you, you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You, believers, are members of Christ's body. You are his hands and his feet and his eyes and his mouth and his ears in the world today. This is why we wanna grab backpacks and why we wanna buy socks and underwear and t-shirts for kids who aren't clean. This is why we wanna give them food to take on the weekend so they can have enough to get them through the weekend until they get back to school. That's why we would do something like a backpack drive. That's why we have two blue buses in our parking lot with Libera that go all around the state loving and listening to women and girls in difficult situations. This is why we partner with places like Christian Help and we serve there to serve the least of these. This is why, because we're the hands and feet of Christ. And as I look in this room, I can see several of you right now who are fostering. You have opened your heart and your home to the foster care crisis that we have in our state right now. Over 7,000 children who do not have a place. And many of you have said, bring them in. I know it's gonna cost time and money and sacrifice and I don't have this whole thing figured out, but I'll open my home. I'll go through the training. I'll become approved. You bring that child to me. We're the body of Christ, the hands and feet. This is what's supposed to mark us. 
This is supposed to be our defining characteristic when someone says, hey, I heard there's a Christian at work. Oh my goodness, think about the love that's gonna be brought into this workplace. When it says, hey, I heard there's a Christian on our sports team. Wow, we have a Christian on our team who loves people? (laughs) Hey, I heard there's a Christian moving into our townhouse complex. You mean to tell me a Christian's moving in, they're gonna be shoveling our sidewalk every time it snows? We're the hands and feet of Christ in the world today. We're the people of God on a mission with God. When Jesus began his public ministry, he chose 12 disciples. He chose 12 disciples, this ragtag group he brought together. And his purpose was to train them and then empower them to carry on his mission to seek and to save the lost. Now imagine if you lived at that time and you were chosen, what a ride that would have been. They got to see Jesus heal the blind. They were in the boat when it was rocking and they saw Jesus walking across the water to them. They were close enough to hear Jesus pray. And they were at the cross whenever Jesus was hung and bled and died. But three days later, they were there when he rose from the dead and he appeared to them and they saw with their own eyes that this wasn't a fake. This wasn't a hoax. You really did beat death. You really did resurrect. And then over a 40-day period, Jesus appeared. 1 Corinthians 15 says that at one point he appeared to 500 people offering these proofs that he really did raise from the dead. And towards the end of these 40 days, Jesus gathered his disciples to himself one more time and he charged them with these words. The 11 disciples, because at that point Judas was no longer in the group, the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost, those far from God, was being entrusted to his disciples in that moment. The reason he called them, the reason he trained them was to empower them for this mission. This is what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. He told his disciples what to do and how to do it. The what was make disciples. This is what they were supposed to do. This was their job. A disciple is a a learner of Jesus an apprentice of Jesus, in the same way that a mason is apprenticed by another mason, we are to be apprentices of Jesus. A disciple has a personal relationship with Jesus that begins in a moment, grows over a lifetime, and then is enjoyed into all eternity. This is what they were supposed to do, make disciples of all nations. But he didn't leave it fuzzy. He gave them very clear instructions as to how they were supposed to go about that. He told them to do three things. Go, baptize, teach. Go, baptize, teach. Go, share 
the gospel. Go share the gospel. Take this good news that Jesus has died for our sins and he has risen again. Take this good news to all the world. I've always appreciated how Pastor Tim describes the gospel. It just has made sense to me. He says, the problem is sin, the solution is Jesus, and the key is faith. That is the gospel. That there is a problem, the problem is sin. The solution is Jesus, he died for our sin, and the key is to place your trust in what Jesus did. The problem, the solution, the key. I've heard it said that you can't spell gospel without G-O. We have to go, we have to take this message in love to the world. Now when a person believes and they respond to the message, they become a Christian, Jesus says, baptize them. It was so much fun in the nine o'clock service to have Justin Williams and Sophia Brown be baptized right here. Two cousins in high school who are believers in Jesus and they said, we wanna get baptized together. It was awesome. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward faith. It's an opportunity for us to go public before the community to say, I believe in Jesus. And the reason why we are baptized in the way that we are baptized is because it reenacts the object of our faith, the death and burial of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the object of our faith. And you would have heard Mark and Jill baptized at the, name, at the nine o'clock service. They baptized them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus told us to do. And just a quick word. If you've placed your faith in Christ, this is your first step of obedience, to be baptized. This isn't optional. This is your first step of obedience to go public with your faith in Christ. Now it's not required for your salvation, but you are commanded to go public with your faith in Christ. So I do encourage you to be a part of our next baptism. And then finally, he said, teach them to obey my commands, which again are summarized in the great commandment in the great commission. This is what we're supposed to do. Go into all of the world. Go into our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces. Go into the world, share the gospel. When they respond, we're to baptize them as a symbol of their faith, and then we're to teach them to obey Jesus, which is a lifelong journey. There's a guy named Bill Bright who passed away in 2003, and if you've ever heard of Campus Crusade for Christ, this is the guy. Just someone who grabbed a hold of the great commandment and the great commission for himself. And as a result, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people have come to faith in Christ because of this man. In fact, it was his message to reach the entire world that, that really inspired Pastor Tim and said, you know what? We can reach West Virginia. We can reach the 1.8 million who are in our state. Bill Bright, this guy, said this. There is no higher calling or greater privilege known to man than being involved in helping fulfill the Great Commission. I love that. There is no higher calling. There is no greater privilege than to share the good news of Jesus and for someone to respond in faith. There's nothing better. 
So it was on that day that Jesus entrusted his mission to the disciples. And today, Jesus is entrusting his mission to us. Now, let me ask you a question. Did the disciples obey the Great Commission from that day? The answer is yes. And the reason we know it's yes is because we're here. That gospel message went forward. They didn't just park and set up shop on that mountain, which would have been easier to do. They went and they shared the gospel and all of them ended up giving their life for the message. So the mission today is for us to receive. So what do we do with this? Well, I would say rooted in the great commandment and the great commission, our church has defined our vision. And it's this, our vision is to be an inviting church that leads people into a growing relationship with God and others. This is what we're setting out to do. And how will we do this? It's simple. In love, we will invest in relationships and then we will invite them to experience Jesus. If you've been around, you've heard us use this phrase. If you're new, this is how we talk about it. We invest and we invite. We invest and we invite. What does it mean to invest? It doesn't mean that we make people our spiritual projects. It means that we love people. It means that we love our neighbors. It means that we love our coworkers. It means that we're a good friend. <laughs> we invest in people, the people that God has clearly placed into our spheres of influence. And when the opportunity is right, we invite them. We invite them to Christ. We invite them to the ridge. Now, a few words about inviting someone to Christ. You need to know how to do this. You can't just rely on inviting someone to church because a lot of people won't go to a church building. They won't. So how are you going to reach them? Well, you can reach them by inviting them to Christ. You can share your story with them of what your life was like before you trusted in Jesus and what your life is like after. You can share the gospel message summarized in a verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. If you can share your story in a few paragraphs and you can share this verse, you are equipped to share the gospel. You can invite someone to Christ with those two things. Now, we also prioritize inviting people to the ridge to come here to join us. Because when a person comes, they're going to be welcomed, they're going to be loved, and they're going to hear the gospel. These work perfectly hand in hand. So you can invite someone to come to a Sunday service. And you can rest assured that they're not gonna feel weird, right? The reason why I'm wearing jeans and not a suit is because people who would come aren't going to wear maybe a suit. They wanna feel comfortable. The reason why we talk in everyday language, the reason why we have coffee, the reason why sometimes we do things that are humorous, it's to create an inviting atmosphere that everyone will feel welcome. So here's the cool thing. For years, this has been kind of our primary strategy to invite someone to the ridge. But over the last several months, been working behind the scenes to launch Ridge Live to where every week we're now streaming our services live, people can access it from wherever, and we're now in a position to invite someone to see it first, to check out the church, to check out these services from the comfort of their home. 
This is a huge opportunity for us. So today, at all of the points of exit, I would encourage you to grab some of these cards. On the front it says, you're invited. And on the back it says, see it first, theridge.church slash live. Now you might be saying to yourself, well, if I invite someone, they should just come. Well, here's the thing. We don't do anything before checking it out online. I won't go see a movie before watching the preview online. I won't go eat at a restaurant before I've read the reviews. I won't order something from Amazon before I check it out. This is what we do as people. We check things out. We scope it out. We make sure this is something I would actually enjoy. So Ridge Live gives us the opportunity to do that. When you invite someone and they say, I'm not so sure if I wanna come, you say, that's fine, just check us out online. Just tune in any Sunday you want and you can be a part of our church. So as we go, we invest and invite. And we have seen God use this over and over and over again to reach people. All right, so back to our movie. With a Texas-sized asteroid racing towards Earth, NASA and the government entrusted the fate of the world to Harry and his ragtag group of drillers. They didn't have all the answers, but they knew enough. They, they knew that their mission would be extremely difficult, and it was, but they were willing to go, and the reason they were willing to go was because they knew there was no plan B. If they didn't go, the mission would not be accomplished. So go, they did. Check out this clip. Zero barriers about to be breached. One minute. Harry, come on, press that button. We're going back and do it ourselves. Just don't. Wait one minute. Dan, we're about to cross the threshold. Come on, Harry, press the button. Colonel, I'm asking you just one more minute. Press the button, Stamper. Do it. I know it. He doesn't know how to fail. We win, Tracy. Press it.
So our mission isn't to save the world from an asteroid. In fact, our mission is so much bigger than that. We're the people of God on a mission from God. And the mission that Jesus has entrusted to us is to seek and to save the lost from an eternity apart from God in hell to an eternity with God in heaven. So this morning, if you're not a believer, I encourage you, I ask you to trust in Jesus today. You can come forward or you can stop at our next steps. We'd love to have that conversation with you about placing your trust in Jesus. And to those of you who do believe, I encourage you to obey Jesus's great commission. Begin to invest your life in people who do not know God. The people in your life are there on purpose. It's not an accident. Love them, invest in them, be kind to them, and ask God for the wisdom to invite them to Christ in the ridge. We're the people of God. This is who we are. We wanna be marked by love and we're on a mission with God. There's no plan B. If we don't go, the mission will not happen. Let me pray for us. Well, Jesus, this morning we are so grateful that you would entrust your personal mission to us. We are thankful for the disciples' example that they were willing to go and put it all on the line to share your good news. We are grateful for men and women for hundreds of years who have carried out your great commission to the world. And this morning, would you stir in our hearts the, the, the amazing responsibility that it is to carry this torch, to fulfill the great commission in our generation. Thank you for your love in Jesus' name, amen.